Alright, Mark chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 787. We'll be reading verses 22 through 35 this morning. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. <coughs> Thank you, Dan. Let's get right to it here. Mark chapter 3. As I'm working through the book of Mark in these studies, I'm realizing again and again these two truths. Jesus Christ was determined to make known to the world God's eternal purpose in the gospel. And it was... It's the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Look back at Mark chapter 1 and see this again. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So this is all unfolding to make that known. Correct? But then there's something else that I see as well. The other thing I see is Christ's wisdom in preparing his followers to be able to take that gospel to the whole world again and again in each and every generation to follow. He's a master teacher. He knows how to teach. So here's where we are. We find this is a, an amazing reality. That Christ uses the training He gives to these twelve in these Gospels to train us. It's all laid out for us to be trained just like his 12 were trained. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can view them as, as Christ's training manual for the next generations. The, the discipleship training manual using the Gospels. So a quick review here as we were looking in Mark chapter 3 last week. It, there were two important factors. Christ instituted discipleship, this matter of training his own as his primary tool for building his kingdom. It's not the big show. It's not the massive crowd. 
It's not the great presentation or the cool movie. Those things are good. They come and go and they can be used. But that's not his primary way of building his church, his kingdom. He calls his disciples. So Jesus did that. In Mark 3, he appointed 12 disciples. And in a matter of three and a half years, with his teaching style, these 12 disciples were 11 because one forsook him, betrayed him. And all of these, in spite of who they were, these 12 were ready to go. These 11 were ready to go and then Paul was included. And Jesus used his teaching of the parables and various life circumstances, and we'll see some of those even today, where he turns it from a situation into a teaching opportunity. And then, just before he was ready to ascend to glory, he gave them the great commission in Matthew 28 that we reviewed. Go, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you. So there's, as you're going with the gospel, you're discipling. By the way, something I want you to understand is discipleship doesn't start with the prayer of salvation. It starts long before that. There's so much that goes into the discovery of the life and believing in Jesus Christ. So that was that's what was really important to Jesus. That, that the primary tool was discipleship. And he would use that to prepare them to fulfill that great commission. And us to fulfill that great commission as well. Everything that Jesus taught and what he did to train the twelve... That can happen with us in this generation as well. You can be trained by Jesus. And that leads me to the second point. Christ calls ordinary people. Remember this list of all these disciples? Just ordinary guys. <clears throat> and he invites them. He calls them. He, he ordains them to this ministry of discipleship. He says, come to him to be with him. Remember that little word with was in that language, the word meta, and it's the idea of a close friendship. Facebook is not a close friendship. Jesus Christ is the one we can be near to and abide with Him and He with us. And with that close relationship, they were then empowered to preach Christ and to boldly use the authority of the Word of God in their life situations. So that was last week. Our text today is starting in verse 20. I'll go back to verse 20, Dan. And you were assigned to read verse 22. But we're going to address these, these distractions from that calling. That great commission calling. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. And as I'm looking at this passage and, and dwelling and thinking about it, and why is it here, I'm asking why are these accounts, these stories, in this scripture? Why the story of his, his family showing up, seeing the crowd that was so overwhelming and Jesus didn't even have time to eat? Why, why this, so this crowd? Why, why the, the scribes who were showing up here and they were just spitting mad? At Jesus. Why is that in there? Or then why is it that Jesus' family shows up and they're they're concerned about him and they're and they're they're wanting to get back 
to some things there. And this, this family of Jesus who just didn't get it. prepared to deal with a number of distractions. And there are three that are mentioned in this passage. There are many more than this, I'm sure. But from these, we can learn how to deal with the distractions that keep us from the main thing. Remember, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. Right? Did, did you follow me with that line? <laughs> The main thing is keep the main thing. The main thing. I wish that was original with me. How many of you have heard that before somewhere else? But it's true. So here, here are the distractions that we want to identify and then get the answer to what to do about it. The first one is you will face the urgent responsibility distractions. Urgent responsibility. The crowd was so thick, demanding Jesus' attention. He couldn't even eat. In verse 20, this crowd gathers again. There, there, there are these pressing demands on Jesus in his life. And, and he couldn't even move around. It's, the, the picture I have in mind is so um, picture Iowa playing Ohio State in Iowa City. And did, did I say Iowa State? Let's, let's use Ohio State, because that might be too close, right? But Ohio State. And Ohio State is ranked number one, and Iowa hasn't had that great of a season. Does that ever happen? <laughs> And yet they're playing the game of their lives. And they, the very last play of the game, they throw a touchdown. And the crowd goes, what? Wild. And they storm the field. And there's no room to move anywhere. And you're in the middle of that. That's kind of the picture here. There were literally tens of thousands of people showing up from all over the region. From north, from south, from west, uh, from Galilee, from Jerusalem. All kinds of people were here and they were all demanding Jesus' attention. And he uses this to be a very important <coughs> teaching lesson for us. Uh, the, his family shows up and they're concerned that they're, they're, they're needing to rescue him, they think. And obviously Jesus understood the danger that was here, and that's why he pulled away and worked with his disciples to be able to focus on what's important. When you're overwhelmed with all the urgent responsibilities, 
need to be able to get away and focus on what's really important. Or else we'll just we'll be overwhelmed with the crowd. I became familiar with the phrase many, many years ago. I think I was still in high school, maybe my senior year in high school, maybe freshman year in college, somewhere around here. There, it, was, it was the phrase, the tyranny of the urgent. And that tyranny of the urgent came from a, a booklet that was published, I think, in 1967 by a man by the name of Charles Hummel. That uh, it was just a short pamphlet, but it drove home this point of how so many things that seem so urgent just take over and we don't end up doing the important things because we're always caught up with the urgent. And there is a phrase or, or a paragraph there in that booklet that, that I found to be significant and it stuck with me. And here it is. This is how Jesus succeeded. He did not finish all the... of the Father. Verse 35. You see, our problem is we try to do too much. And we get distracted from doing the main thing that we're really called to do because we're so busy doing other things. And here's the answer. Prayerfully evaluate Christ's priorities for you. Step aside, slow down, get alone, open your Bible, pray. Oh God, show me what you want me to do and what I need to let go. Sometimes the most important word you can say is no. Because there's something more important. Solitude. Where you can really listen to God. I'm not talking about solitude as you go into a uh, hut in the middle of the wilderness and close the door and you're in darkness for four days. Those of you that know a certain quarterback up in Green Bay, that's what he's been doing this week, trying to find himself. And you know, I really can pray for him. Because he's been told the truth. He knows the truth. And I'm praying that God would draw him back to the truth. But you're not going to find that in the darkness. You're going to find it in the Word of God. Seek the Lord in the Scriptures and ask the Lord, what's really important for me? What, what should I be doing? What are the priorities that you have in the world? So there's that urgency of responsibility that needs to be brought into understanding Christ's priorities, what's really important to Him. Number two, we'll spend some time on this one. You will fear the oppressive hostility. You'll face urgent responsibility, but then you're going to fear oppressive hostility distractions, opposition. Or as we heard one of the, those in the videos earlier, uh, those testimonies, the idea of being intimidated, intimidation. Look at verse 22. The religious authorities, they're showing up. I call these the, the thought police using intimidation. 
This was the Jerusalem establishment that had come up to Galilee. They had an extremely intricate theology built on, on all kinds of rules within the law, their interpretation of the law, and all those rules provided a means for them to control people, control the society. That was their power. But back in verse 8, we see that this crowd is, is they're, they're, they're drawn to Jesus Christ. And that was a threat to their rule, their power, their theology. Everything comes back to theology. Come back to that. And so news of Jesus was working its way all the way down to Jerusalem. So those with all the influence, the thought police, they sent a delegation to oppose him all the way up to Galilee. These scribes, they came with both barrels blazing. We read in verse 22, they were saying, that's in the imperfect tense in that language, and it's the idea they were insisting, they were arguing. You see, they couldn't deny what was happening. The lame man was walking. The, the demonic had been delivered. The sick, they were made well. There were miracle after miracle demonstrating that, as we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, that He is God, the Son of God, Jesus. So, if you cannot deny what's happening, you attack the source. You cannot deny the message, so you remove the, cre the credibility of the messenger. So they came down from Jerusalem, which was up. <laughs> Jerusalem was higher altitude, and so they... They went down to Jerusalem, but they went north, or they went up on our map, which is the way we have it. And they went there to make accusation. They say, Jesus, he's a sorcerer. Satan is his power. Why? They're cause. They were living for their power, their politic, their cause. So, if there's a cause, it's okay to lie if it helps your cause, right? The end justifies the means? Hmm. Imagine this. They came making false accusations in order to create doubt. Hmm. Has that ever happened? Who cares if two years later it all comes out as, as a lie? They knew it. But they were doing this to work the crowd. And yet Jesus skillfully answers. Look at this in verses 23 through verse 30. Jesus shows them their, their logical Further, in verse 27, Jesus takes this to a very important point, which I believe will lead us to the highlight of the whole passage. Uh, a strong man, he can defend his house. So if you don't tie up that strong man, 
You can't defeat him. You need someone that's stronger than that strong man to bind the strong man. So who's going to do that? So Jesus shows us that that's exactly what he came to do. He came to bind this strong man. And then the question is, how? And Jesus gives the good news in the answer. Look at verse 28. He promises all sins will be forgiven. Underline that, circle that, highlight that. That's really what this whole passage is all about. Jesus declaring all sins will be forgiven. It, you know, the logical progression of things. And that's the redemption story. That's the gospel. That's what we sing about. Jesus is God in the flesh who came to this earth to die on the cross to pay the penalty, the ransom for our sinfulness. And He gives us as His gift to us the righteousness that is eternal life. Jesus did that for you because He loves you. And that's that great exchange. Try it again. That great exchange that we're talking about in sharing the gospel. I think that the highlight of, of the entire exchange, just evangelism study. The first study is God is holy. We've sung of that. God is just. He must punish sin. But God is loving. And in His love for us, He works this great exchange so that then His grace can work in us to give us what we don't deserve, eternal life. Wow. So Jesus boldly addresses these accusers by, number one, showing them the illogical way of their thinking. It, it doesn't add up. But number two, giving them the hope of what our soul really longs for is to be able to be right with God, to have forgiveness. And we need to be ready to answer with boldness. We need to be able to answer those who seek to intimidate us by sharing at that moment the good news of forgiveness found in Christ alone. Everyone is born with a longing to be able to connect with God. They just don't know it. They're confused by everything else around them and all the false messages that are thrown at them. But everyone is created in the image of God knowing, I'm not right with God. Something's got to give. So you either come up with your own rules to try to get high enough, but we fall short of the kingdom of God, of His righteousness. Or you push God off the scene and you make yourself God. That's what we see in our culture today. I just saw a video clip the other day of somebody who was being interviewed. They, they asked this person, this gal, do you, do you believe in, do you believe in, in God? Well, yeah. Well, who is God? And her and she said, I'm God. Well, that doesn't satisfy, does it? It still leaves you with a, something in your soul saying, things aren't right. But Jesus came to make things right. He came so that we could understand forgiveness. And what's missing in our culture, what's missing in our world, is this message of forgiveness. 
We know we need to be forgiven by a holy God. And the fact that He loves us makes that possible in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the means of forgiveness. All sins will be forgiven. Yet note that He goes on with a very convicting message. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. So you're either going to be one of those that's forgiven, or you're going to be one of those that's not forgiven. Look at verses 28 and 29. Jesus shows us that the scribes accusing him of satanic oppression are committing blasphemy. And there's a warning here. Assigning the work of God to a satanic origin is a big problem. It was big back then. It is still true today. It's a big problem. The willfully blind, those who oppose Christ, will find that ultimately there's no forgiveness. That's the warning. Jesus is the answer to that problem. He's the gospel. And he perfectly yielded to his Father's will. And in that, was completely empowered by the Holy Spirit for that work. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And throughout Christ's earthly ministry, you'll see this in your notes that it would print it out for you. I appreciate Jordan doing that on Thursdays every week. But in these notes, you'll see these scriptures that the, the Spirit was actively participating in Christ's ministry. Christ's birth, Luke chapter 1. His baptism, Mark chapter 1. His temptation, Mark chapter 1. His, his ministry, Luke chapter 4. His miracles, Mark chapter 12 and Acts chapter 10. His death, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. And His resurrection. If you will, take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1, the very beginning of Romans, chapter 1, verse 4. We read that Christ was declared to be the Son of God. Romans 1, verse 4. Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to, or by means of, the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Holy Spirit participated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So to attribute the work of Christ to Satan is to deny the work of the Holy Spirit. That's blasphemy. The Holy Spirit has come and He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and the reality of judgment. John 16. So everyone that refuses Christ, stubbornly refusing the Messiah, is refusing the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, and that will not be forgiven. They will face God's wrath. So more than anything else in life, you need the Holy Spirit's conviction of your need of Christ's forgiveness and the means for that forgiveness through Jesus Christ alone. That's the message we're confident of. Christ forgives. He doesn't make you, but it's there for you. And Jesus was telling everybody, your sins are going to be forgiven. But those that are blaspheming the Spirit, shutting down on His convicting power, they will not be forgiven. We need to trumpet that message. We need to preach that message. So our problem is intimidation. We're fearful. But the answer is to pray for the boldness of the Holy Spirit that comes through your relationship with Christ. Remember when Christ called these disciples? Are you with me? He said, come, be with me. 
Experience that relationship that's real and personal and life-changing. And then you're able to preach and use with authority the Word of God. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life in my soul, my willing soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. Cause your word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. And give me passion for your purity. Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me. So the distractions we face, these urgent, busy responsibilities, these fearful, oppressive hostilities, intimidations. But number three, you will feel the compelling relationship distractions. Good things that distract from the main thing. In this case, it was family. It's interesting, in verses 20 and 21, his family sees all this commotion and this just not, is just not sustainable. And in verse 31 through 35, they're outside and they're seeking him. And Jesus uses this moment to teach his followers, to teach his disciples a very important reality here. Now, let me say this. Scripture is very clear about this. Family life is a precious gift from God. You know that, I know that. It was established very clearly in Genesis 2. A man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And the family in our day is very much under attack. We'll address that word willing some more next Sunday as we do deal with Hebrews chapter 13. And the, the, the value of, of a good marriage. It's also a reality that Bible doctrine highlights the importance of the family. The significance of the family in Ephesians 4 and 5 and Colossians and 1 Peter as well. Again, we'll address those. But the main point about the family is that it's a place for the gospel to come alive and to shine. However, here in Mark chapter 3, Jesus says something shocking. And I have to ask why. Why in this account, account, included in this passage, in this context, when his family shows up, he says, who are my mother and my brothers, my family? And he says, those that are doing the will of my father, they are my mother and brothers, my family. See, they had this assumption that the, their earthly connection, their earthly family, needed to be the preeminent relationship, the priority relationship. This is seen in verse 33. But here's the question. Is it possible for your family to become an idol? Good things in the wrong place become a replacement for God. And then the question is, is my family becoming my idol. Six, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In order to be a follower of Christ, Got to deal with this distraction. Now, what a joy it is to be able to live out the gospel in your home and watch your children 
grow up and live for Jesus Christ and spread the gospel, and it goes on generations. But who do you belong to? Who do your children belong to? Are they yours? We read in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power or the privilege to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. So determining who you belong to and keeping that as your priority, even within your family context, is what Jesus is saying we need to address. As precious as the family is, they do not have priority over God's will. The lasting influence of a family is a family that understands God's will and brings discipleship, this matter of doing the will of God, even as these 12 followers, these disciples. The vital truth is, if you're doing the will of God, that shows you're in the family of God. So here's our problem. Other good things become the main thing. But the answer is, Pray Matthew 6.33. Oh Lord, help me to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and all these other things will take place. Jesus chose 12. He taught them. And in this passage, one of the first things he wanted them to see in this context was you got to deal with the distractions, the busyness of life, the oppositions that intimidate you. And even good things that take the place of what's really important. Don't be a distractor. Don't be distracted by busyness, opposition, for the good things. We need to be moved to take some action steps intentionally so that whatever we do, we're making disciples. Remember, that's the point of this passage. Whatever you do, make disciples. That's the will of God. As these disciples are serving the Lord, not in the big scene, but just going about faithfully declaring Christ where God had them, serve Christ. Be a disciple man. That's the will of God. Whatever you do, do that. That's the will of God. Intentionally, we have to be asking, so what can I do to resolve this problem of busyness? It's probably going to involve some solitude. What can I do to find some boldness for Christ? We'll draw near to Him in your relationship. And may I suggest you sign up for the exchange seminar. It addresses this very thing. So you're ready to give a reason of the hope that lies within you. Let me urge you to ask this question. What can I do to demonstrate I belong to Jesus? Remember who you are. Remember who Lord, I'd ask that you would use the preaching of your word, the teaching of Jesus Christ for his disciples that we apply to our own lives today in the same way, and how you're continuing to build your kingdom through the exact same thing you did with your twelve you're doing within us. Oh God, may we as believers be moved to deal with business, to understand boldness, and remember who we belong to. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we pray this and say thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.